everybody. Welcome to the 440 Guitar Podcast. My, I am your host, Jarrell Powell. Thank you so much for tuning up. You can catch the podcast on the streaming app of your choice. So if you have Spotify, please be sure to click that follow button. Or if you use Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, uh, please be sure to click subscribe on those uh, so you can get updated on the episodes for when they release. Uh, you can also follow the podcast on our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, just go to 440guitarpodcast.com, our website. You'll be able to find all of our handles there for the social media. And then also, if you wanted to buy a T-shirt or coffee mug, you're more than welcome to do that as well. You can go to 440guitarpodcast.com, uh, click on Buy 440 Merchandise, and you can see some cool stuff there that you uh, you can purchase if you'd like. So feel free to do that if you'd like to do so. Uh, today, I'm very excited as we have a fantastic, uh, fantastic guitar player uh, from Los Angeles, California, uh, he is the lead guitarist for the band Jacano Batman, a uh, fantastic band, uh, which they have uh, released their uh, just their current album this year titled Invisible People. Uh, without further ado, uh, Carlos uh, Aravalo. How are you, Carlos? Hi, I'm good, Jerome. Thanks for having me on the show. Of course, man. Of course, it's it's been, a, you know, definitely appreciate you, you coming on. Uh, man, it's crazy. I feel like the, the year's gone by really fast with all the insane things that have been happening this year. Uh, how have you been doing during all of this, during the quarantine? I know we were talking about how you were kind of working on some some music, but how have you been through, you know, for this year thus far? I've been doing good. Um, I'm newlywed. We just, actually, it's going to be my, my one-year anniversary um, in a few days. You know, I was reading, like, in the news how this is really, like, testing, like, couples, uh, testing like you know the strength of the relationship being in quarantine together and yeah i'm happy to say i have a, a great partner so she and i are it's been uh it's been easy sailing for us you know we stay home and just try to be healthy we really take the like the public health aspect of this whole situation seriously and man i haven't really been out socializing at all except for you know visiting other pockets of my family that it taking this seriously and I can trust are, are being smart and wearing masks outside. So and in, in between that, just trying to get exercise when I can, I try, I try to run and do some kind of strength training of multiple times a week and that, and just working on music has pretty much been the, the, my, my routine every week. So uh, I guess the big difference is obviously we're not on the road and Chicano Batman's uh that's a big part of our identity is us as performers and live musicians. Mm -hmm. So it's been, it took a little bit of a transition to get used to that, but I just been working on music nonstop now. So been okay. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I like what you said as far as, you know, and congratulations again, by the way, in a one year anniversary, obviously a big deal. Um, yeah, I'm, I just passed my three year anniversary with my wife and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, but definitely what you said as far as this is definitely a trial <laughs> of all trials. <laughs> Can you withstand your partner? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, definitely an interesting time uh, in regarding to that. But yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd definitely be in you know the same boat as far as you know. I, I got to you know have a partner where we can figure things out, work things out, so we're not at each other's throats. So that's good. So it's real out there. I know relationships that have been going strong for years or no longer with some people I know. It's crazy, you know, it's just you get put in this situation where not only are you being tested um, 
in terms of your relationship, but just like ment- mental toughness and just like psychologically, um, it's just a, this whole thing is just taking a toll on people. And I can understand how that can create some difficult scenarios for people living together. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so on the 440 Guitar Podcast, we're really big on origin stories, how people got to where they are today. Um, so without further ado for you, just jumping right into it. Tell me about your earliest memories of music. So my earliest memories are, um, the earliest memory I have is, I remember, I've, I've told this story a few times, so I, I just want to apologize for anyone that might be listening that have heard this. But um, I, um, I saw the movie La Bamba when I was a little kid. And I was probably a first grade or something. And I just remember being awe-inspired by what I saw on the screen. And um, it probably had some relevance in the fact of that he was a Latino. Mm. And that's something I never saw like on a movie before. Mm. And here he was playing amazing guitar, rock guitar, and singing. And I just remember seeing that and just being floored and wanting to do that. And I didn't know if it was just me being like a child, like, oh, I want to do that because it looks cool. You know, children are like that. Oh, I look yeah. cool. I want to go kick the soccer ball. I want to go shoot the uh, basketball. Uh, I want to go play the rock guitar. Um, mm-hmm. But in hindsight, I, I really think it was uh, just inherently I wanted to play music, and that was the first sign. Mm. Um, so that was that, and also I, I grew up in the like I was a in in grade school, elementary school, and middle school in the '90s. So it was like the MTV generation when MTV was still playing music that was very popular, but also could be like very art artistic, you know. Yeah. There was this time where critically acclaimed music could also be huge popular music. Mm. And um, so I remember seeing like in 92, uh, Black Hole Sun. You know, I remember seeing Smells Like Teen Spirit. Mm. I remember seeing Under the Bridge and uh, also hip hop, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, West Coast, G-Funk. Yeah. I just remember loving all of that music and just I could not get enough of it. I used to watch it all day. And um, so that was really forming for, uh, forming my identity, I think, musically. Yeah. And so um, I think uh, I wanted to play an instrument um, in in fifth grade. I was in fifth grade. I grew up in Rialto, California, which is about mm. six miles east of Los Angeles. Yeah. But my family, my mom's from Los Angeles. My dad's from El Salvador. He migrated here in the, the 70s. And um, so we have roots in la all my family was living in la when i was growing up in the inland empire Mm. and um anyways i had a friend in in fifth grade and i remember he introduced me to weezer and this is Mm. when the blue album had just come out like their first single was holly and i just remember thinking it was so cool what i was hearing and seeing the music video was directed by spike jones once again i'm talking about that MTV era where you just had amazing like directors there was a budget for music videos so that was whole um i I created an identity of like uh, music and then uh, visuals going hand in hand. Mm. Um, and so uh, I just remember loving that record. And my friend, his name was Brian Jones, like the, the guitarist of Rolling Stones. And um, he had an older brother that was feeding him this music, like in high school. I didn't have an older sibling. So any, this was like my first, uh, my first um, time, like, 
being exposed to new sounds that you know I didn't find on my own, which was very hard because obviously this is pre-internet, and um, or just as the internet was starting. So I remember he would show me stuff. He showed me Green Day's Dookie. Those records had just come out, and I remember liking it a lot. And mm-hmm. I wanted to play guitar so badly. And I remember asking my fa- my dad, "Can I get a guitar?" And money was tight in my house at the time. You know, we were middle class, lower middle class. And I remember he was just like, you know, I don't know if we can afford buying one of those, especially because you tried playing clarinet and like you gave up. <laughs> <laughs> in fourth grade, I played I played clarinet in like the school band, and uh, it, just, it just didn't work out for logistical reasons <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> basically the story is um i liked it and i was good at it and i i wanted to do it but mm-hmm. the elementary school i went to they would uh they would have it wasn't you went to school for nine months and then had summers off it was year round so mm-hmm. you go for three months and then you'd have a month off and then you go oh, another wow. three months and then you have a month off and then you go another three and so forth wow so i did three months of playing clarinet but then when it was time for the month off they expect you to show up to the 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 classes that are happening twice a week at school my parents are at work when i'm off when i'm off school i'm getting taken care of by my my grandma and she doesn't drive so i couldn't continue my my lessons and my practice so when i got back to school after that month off Everybody was like a whole section ahead of me, and oh, no. they expect you to catch up. And because of that, I, I fell off, and I was just like, I don't want to do this. Like, I'm yeah. so behind, and I was upset. But anyways, that's the story of what my dad was uh, referencing. So, yeah, so I, I just wanted to keep playing music, and um, I, I ended up going to uh, really getting into hip-hop in, in middle school because that's what was really popular, and... I went to a school that was primarily uh, Latino and black. So I got like a kind of a lot of crap for liking rock music. People would mm-hmm. give me like a hard time, like stereotype, you know, yeah. and be like, what are you listening to? You know, that's, you know, they would say that's white boy music or something like that, you know? And um, I just, I guess I got a uh, peer pressure, not peer pressure, but you know, I, I wanted to fit in. Sure. I got into hip hop. Outwardly, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the rock behind the scenes, but I wasn't flying that flag at school. But mm-hmm. uh, but even in hip hop, I was able to. Get, I got into like the Roots, and we're talking about like '98 Roots, okay, Outcasts, uh, AT Aliens had just come out. Such great um, music. All this stuff was super underground at the time. It wasn't. Yeah. They weren't. They didn't have their top. You know, top forty hit yet. Right. Either of the groups. Bombs were Baghdad and all that. <laughs> Two albums before that. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. And I got into like cool hip hop that was unique. I always liked stuff that was just kind of unique and off the beaten path of what is quote unquote popular. And uh, that's what I got into. I got into hip hop really hard. Uh, this is also, you know, we're talking about uh, Notorious B.I.G. was blowing up. Uh, Life After Death had just come out. He had just passed away. Mm. Hip hop had just passed away. And uh, I, I forgot what record. I think Machiavelli was the one that just come out. So all this music was coming out. That was amazing. And um, mm. uh, I wanted to be, I wanted to do something with music. This has always been my life. And yeah. I had saved up money for like a year. And now we're talking about, I'm in high school. I'm a, a ninth grader. 
Mm. And um, I wanted to be a DJ because I just got into hip hop 100. percent Yeah. And I wanted to do some kind of production, and I know that DJs, producers start with DJing first, or that's what I thought in my brain at the time. Mm-hmm. So I went to Guitar Center. I was getting ready to buy my two hundred dollar turn. They would have like a beginner Gemini turntable uh, setup, and they were they weren't even good turntables. They were um, the the belt belt drive. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you get like a packet, and you get a mixer. I wanted to get one, so I saved up, went to Guitar Center with my dad, and I went to go buy it, and it was like a hundred dollars more than what it had been advertised or what I thought it was. Oh. And so I couldn't afford it. They had a a guitar starter pack, Squire, with a little amp for like two fifty, mm. and I had always wanted to play guitar also, and I thought, well, maybe I can play guitar then. I want to come home with some kind of musical instrument so I can make music. Yeah. And so my dad popped in like the fifty bucks, helped me out, and I went home with the guitar, and wow. that was it. That was I was fifth. I just turned fifteen. It was on my fifteenth birthday, and. uh I just had like a, I bought like a book and I just tried my best to like learn guitar by myself. I didn't even use like a pick at first. I just used my thumb because I didn't know any better. Oh, okay. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, it took a long time because like I said, I didn't have any older siblings and I didn't have any friends that played music. Mm. Uh, so I really had to teach everything myself, like in a vacuum. So needless to say, things were a little slow going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Wow, that's great. That's a that's a great great story. I appreciate you sharing that. Um what uh what songs or did you listen to that you kind of, you know, learned by ear when you were going through that process? So, this is 99, so Chili Peppers had just put out Californication mm. and that was a monster record. And oh, yeah. I was I was drawn to the guitar playing because at the time everything was corn, Limp Biscuit, rap metal was like the thing. Right. And um, Rob Zombie, I remember Rob Zombie. And I liked that music, but I don't know. I was more drawn to like the Chili Peppers because they were like, I liked how Frusciante, John Frusciante played clean. And I yeah. just liked his style of guitar playing. And I remember he played very simplistic for that record. Mm. And I read because he was coming off like injuries from his heroin addiction where he didn't have like mm. strength in his wrists. So he literally had to play like more simple and less busy but i thought it was so musical and so um so beautiful really and i know the i know chili peppers now like a lot of people kind of uh kind of talk crap on them and make fun of them and but just being in context at the time this was some fresh new stuff in at 1999 and uh, i took notice and i remember just trying to learn like anything i could off that album because I didn't need a distortion pedal. You know, I didn't need a down-tuned guitar to do it. I just needed a standard pitch-tuned guitar. And that's all I had. So I was able to make some of the sounds on that record, you know. Wow. And uh, that felt like a like an amazing accomplishment at the time for someone that had just started out. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's funny you mentioned uh, Frashante. I know he released a he released the out, new album this weekend. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's one of my favorite guitar players, by the way, is probably my favorite rcp album and just like the 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 stuff he plays on that it's just so good but yeah californication's yeah a staple you know it's a staple so Mm -hmm. yeah so i started with that and then um at the same time i started i found out about radiohead i had i had known about okay computer for 
for a minute, but I didn't really pay attention to it. It was a little too far out for my ears at the time. Yeah. My friend had was really into it. My friend Michael Higgins and so television, York, Radiohead, uh man, at the drive in. That was the game changer nice. for me. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I, yeah. It's funny. Uh, I was I was reading about how some of your you know, biggest influences. I know Omar Rodriguez Lopez, you said was one of them. And I'm a huge Omar Rodriguez Lopez fan. Absolutely. Just from yeah. all, even Frank from, from Volta to at the drive-in to just his personal like albums and like old money is like one of my favorite like records he's done. So it's yeah, definitely, definitely awesome. Awesome. Um, so when, when learning guitar, you know, you learning these, these songs and a lot of these, you know, artists that, you know, you're inspired by and kind of creating that musical palette or just your interest in, in playing guitar was when you were playing guitar, was there a moment where you where it was like, you know, play like st- start and stop? Like, were there any challenges as you were going through that? Or was it more just kind of like a discovery process and, you know, just having a great time as you're learning to play guitar? Did you have any struggles or challenges as you were going through all that? Yeah, I mean, there was just basic concepts that were just mm. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out just yeah. through a magazine or a book. It would take some time. If I did run into another musician at maybe school or some somewhere, I'd ask them like, "Hey, how do you, how do you do that? How do you how did you make that sound?" Or you know, I remember hearing like a sweet pick. <laughs> I'm not even talking about like metal, like sweet picking, but just like a subtle like three note sweet pick, like Nels Klein would do, and just being like, "How do you do that?" Like. It's, it's incredible and um i don't know it just eventually uh you know by the time i was in high school things were becoming a little more easy to learn through the internet just finding like tabs and like lessons a lot of my learning came from guitar magazines and books mm. um and i don't know i just i was really good at school like i always got like a's um so i think because i had like a capacity to like and uh, attention span to be able to learn. I think that really helped when I was trying to figure out these these lessons without mm-hmm. a teacher or someone showing me how to do it. So it would take some time, but eventually I, I would learn stuff. And um, I remember teaching myself uh, chord scales and being and that being a huge breakthrough for me because it showed me what chords worked with what scales and how I could solo or play, you know, a, one scale over a whole chord progression. Yeah. And I remember when I taught myself that and learned that was just like shh, just <laughs> busted in the floodgates. Yeah. <laughs> I would just learn from books and I taught my I taught my I taught myself theory um mm. from books and uh, I was I didn't get my first real guitar lesson until I was about twenty one years old. Oh wow. There's a teacher in in Upland, California, his name's Pepper Brown, and he teaches like he's all into like fusion. And I had gotten really into like Mahavishnu Orchestra through Mars Volta and finding out about John McLaughlin and yeah, getting into like Miles Davis' Bitches Brew. And I remember wanting to learn more how to play like that. And I found this teacher who was like really into that stuff. And it turns out he was uh, one of Buckethead's teachers when he was like a kid. Oh wow! So I took lessons from him for like three months, and he filled in the holes. He was like, "You really know a lot, like uh, in terms of theories." Like, but he really filled me in on like technical and like technique and how to uh, 
just simple things like how to hold your pick better and how to to place your thumb behind your second finger on your neck, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no rules to any of this. You can play however you, you can play with your thumb or your, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But for me, he had the keys to help me get to like the the sound of so, you know, let's say John McLaughlin or something yeah. like that. And yeah. um, that was really helpful. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So how did, how did, um, Chicano Batman form. How did how how'd you guys first uh, meet each other or get together? Yeah, so I had my I started I started having bands when I was in high school, mm-hmm. and uh, it was like my second band um, in college. It was my band in college. The lead singer was a a friend of mine from uh, Rialto. We went to high school together, mm-hmm. and she was dating Bardo, the our singer from mm-hmm. Chicano Batman. And so that's when I first met Bardo. We were both twenty one. And she would come late to like band practice and all this stuff. And I used to be like, man, where is she at? Like, come on, like we got to get, you know, we got to, we got to practice. And she was all in love. And then she would bring this guy up to her, like the rehearsals. And it was Bardo Mm. (laughs) (laughs) having like an unfavorable opinion about it. Cause I was like, man, this guy's like making my singer like late. Like she's not paying attention. (laughs) I'm trying to like run a tight ship here. Right. (laughs) No, but um, eventually their relationship ran its course and I still kept in touch with him and he would come see our shows and he would tell me, I really like your guitar style and it's inspired my guitar playing and how I play. I like how you play clean. I like how you play like funky. I like how, you know, you don't use like distortion and you just have like your own sound and it's really inspired how I approach the guitar. And he would tell me that kind of stuff and I would. I was very flattered, and he ended up having this group called uh, Buyapongo, which is still a band. He started that band um, like now fifteen years ago. Wow! Um, and um, he would invite me to play gigs with his band. Whatever band I was in, he would have me join and be an opening band for the shows he would throw, like in L.A. or around the L.A. area. Mm. And uh, we just kept in touch. And um, in about 2008-2009 Chicano Batman put out their first album Mm. and um, I remember hearing it on MySpace you could hear music on MySpace back then and um, (laughs) I remember just liking it a lot and also just hearing like um, very a lot of similarities in the guitar approach and how I played guitar Mm. and thinking I could really I would love to be a part of this because I could see how I could see myself accentuating and also just adding to what they have going, which is like a a really amazing um, group. Mm. And I remember I hit up Bardo and I was like, if you ever need another guitar player, you know, please hit me. Please ask me first, you know, if if you if you're interested. Mm. And he kept it in mind. And um, I would go see Chicano Batman play around town. I remember I saw them play at the Echo. And they were just an amazing power trio, like just incredible. Eduardo and Gabriel's just rhythm section is just has always been there. Yeah. And it just I really think it's a huge part of the band's sound. And um, I just remember just being impressed at how good they were. Anyways, eventually Bardo hit me up and said, hey, I have some new songs and I want to kind of focus just on playing keyboards and singing more. Uh, maybe you'd be interested in picking up the guitar and playing the guitar parts and um, just, you know, playing with us. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, so I started doing that like in 2000, that was 2011. Yeah, it was, uh, it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Bardo at the time was really into like Vallenato Cumbia music, yeah. uh, Andres Landero, um, soul music. Eduardo grew up listening to metal, Metallica, same thing with um, Gabriel. They were all into metal. Mm-hmm. So we have all these different influences what they were all vibing on was the like the Latin aspect of the sound at the time. So they were drawing references from bands like Los Angeles Negros, Las Pasteles Verdes, which are these Latin American soul groups that just have like funky breakbeats and keyboards, farfisas, and like guitars with wah-wah and just reverb drenched and just like hits on the two and four, just pure like head bobbing music that a hip hop producer would love to sample mm. and have sampled. So that was their, that's what they were vibing on, that and Tropicalia music, the music of Caetano Veloso and Ost mm. um, uh, Mutanchis. I did not know any of that kind of stuff. I was not interested in that. I, like I said, I was into like Radiohead <laughs> and Volta <Yeah. laughs> and like just crazy stuff like that. Mahavishnu Orchestra, uh, Miles Davis. So it took a while for me to, to really be able to play the kind of grooves that they were already locked into and that mm. they grew up with. Um, I grew up listening to Prince and Michael Jackson and that yeah. kind of music was always around the house. Not too much Latin music because my mom, is, she's third generation Mexican-American. So the, the roots to, you know, the immigrant part of the family was like three generations back. So they were already like into American popular culture. And, you know, Led's, my mom used to, my mom saw Led Zeppelin at the forum. She saw Jimi oh, wow. Hendrix at the forum. She was on to like that that kind of music she was from that generation so um those are the sounds i heard in my house and so it took a while for me like i said to lock in the grooves and the rhythms and get it right and um now it's a little more effortless but i remember at the time just being like man i don't know if i can hold it down in this band because they're, they're not playing stuff on the one and three you know there's stuff on the two and four happening there's like all these crazy little uh, rhythms that I am not like used to like hitting <laughs> <laughs> time. And I'm, I'm really happy that they were patient with me. That's great. Yeah. Cause it's funny. The first time I heard you guys, uh, I was listening to NPR um, and there's a transition trend. Usually I, I always try to keep, keep an ear out for the transition music. Cause they'll, they'll, they'll play stuff that I haven't heard before. And I end up using like a, like a sound hound or whatever, you know, put it to like my car stereo or to my speaker and uh, the song right off the back, uh, right off the back uh, from freedom is free came on. And I was like, Whoa, that sounds awesome. <laughs> Just like the, uh, the, the rhythm section. And like, it had like a, a funky James Brown, Carlos Santana infusion. And I was just like, Oh my God, this is awesome. So that's how I first found out about you guys. <laughs> song. I feel like a lot of our fans don't give that song the time of day it deserves. But um, mm. I know there's people out there like you that, that have those, that can appreciate those deep cuts. I know we have fans that appreciate it, but mm. I know when we play it live, some people are like, what song is this? Like, there's no vocals. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing that song to the band. And I think I was listening to Fela. There's like an obvious Fela Hootie influence and uh, mm. just trying to like, composed we composed it together and it was just so much fun and uh i'm so happy we were able to get that on the record what you hear on the album is the first and only take we just did it and that was it
Wow. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, that, that whole album is, is great. But yeah, that, that's that song in particular. Of course, of course. Dude, that's really like, I was like, whoa, who are these guys? I need to pay attention to them. <laughs> the song is, is it's funny, the title, because, you know, Eduardo is, uh, he's, English is a second language to him. And for him, Bardo and Gabriel, and um, we would make fun of ourselves how he would always say like his whole life, like, you know what, fool, right off the bat, like I went to the store and I saw, you know, he didn't ever knew it was right off the bat. You know, he always say, right <laughs> <off the bat. laughs> that's why the song's called right off the back. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, yeah. Just like your guys' sound. It's so, it's, it's almost like a time machine. Like there's so much, there's so much influence, um, from you know all these different genres that you guys mentioned so just kind of like hearing this gumbo of, of music from all these various you know styles it's just one of those things where it's like god i want quarantine to be over so i can see you guys live <laughs> so but yeah. yeah um i think so we put out this new record and it's a big it's a big sea change in the sound mm -hmm. of the band for me mm -hmm. i don't think so much i think it's just a natural progression of where we're going you have to understand for the people listening out there a lot of the sounds on that first record you hear an organ and a cheap you know organ and just guitars with very little effects that's because that's all we could afford like we were going to school mm. going to college and trying to be in a band at the same time and mm. uh you know we were broke we we're broke uh broke students and um we've had some moderate success so now we have better gear or i like to think better gear and more options for tone and um yeah the um the sounds are uh are are more expansive on this new record and i really wanted to show our audience how it ties in because yeah. context is everything and without the live show i think for some of our fans they're not able to appreciate the appreciate the the direction we were going with this new album as much because there's not that live show to glue it together within mm -hmm. the story of our of our repertoire. Like how can a how can that song be played, you know, before one of the old songs or after? How does it work in a set? And I feel like if we had that opportunity to play those shows, people would get it more and maybe yeah. appreciate it more. Not everyone, but you know, the the small group of people that were just not not so sure about the the new sound of the record. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to train, I was going to transition into invisible people. Which I, I really enjoy the record too. Um, you know, it's definitely, it's a different, um, different direction musically, but I know as far as the whole album in general, I mean, conceptually there seems like there's a different direction that it's being taken. Um, as far as even just talking from like the album cover, it's very like very reminiscent of like, I almost like, I, I I was like almost like going crazy because I'm like I feel like this is like adapted from like a, a a painting that I've seen before. Just really like you know really um really awesome. You know uh, what what was the as far as your, like the 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 album creation or the album art creation was that was that all of you guys' like input or how was that how was the album uh, art put together before we talk about the music? Yeah, so we had started talking about needing some cover art, and I've always wanted something that was like just art where you can see the album cover and it kind of stands on its own for what it is without any regards to the music or it could create this subjective idea of what the music's about. Sure. Um, 
And um, I was just on Pinterest. I was on Pinterest. My wife had just showed me how to use Pinterest. I had been holding out forever, like, because it was just another app that I would have to, like, learn my way through. Right. Uh, she, she introduced me to Pinterest, and, and it was on. I was just finding, like, amazing artists. And um, I came across this artist named Rala Choi, who was from uh, South Korea. Hmm. And I saw his work, and it was just, like, breathtaking. And I was like, this is it. This is, I would love for us to be represented through this medium, through this filter of an of a of a of an artist, yeah. And I, you know, I, I was like, "This is a painter. It's amazing." And then I did more research, and I realized that they're not paintings at all; that they're it's film photography. And he just sets up the conditions and the aperture, and everything is done like on the spot with everything super um, controlled environment. And he's able to get these amazing photos, and so. Um, Wow. We I hit him up. Uh, I had our manager hit up his manager, and we heard nothing for like a month. Mm. And I remember just our manager was just like, "Hey, you know, we're gonna have to just move on with somebody else. Like, we can't get a hold of him." And so I was like, "Ah, I'm gonna try." So I hit him up on Instagram, and he wrote me back. Oh, I, wow. I remember we were in Marfa, Texas. We had just played a show in in Marfa, and um, he wrote me back, and I got really excited. And his English was broken, or maybe, uh, I mean, I appreciated that he even wrote me back in English. Right. I was like, maybe I can help him if I use, like, Google Translate. And so I translated my whole, like, question and my whole conversation to Korean through Google Translate. And I'm sure oh, wow. it came broken Korean, you know. But um, mm -hmm. I sent it to him, and then we just started having, like, dialogue. And I would just have to, like, plop it into Google Translate and figure out. And he was like, I love the sound. I, I checked out your music. I, I would love to work with you guys. I'm going to have my my management hit, um, get in contact with yours. And the ball just got rolling. Before we knew it, we're flying out a, a photographer from South Korea to shoot the album cover in wow. LA. And uh, he had very specific conditions that he needed, like, in terms of the set designs. And he, we gave him the record, and he loved the record, and he... He just did his own interpretation of it. We kind of didn't tell him what we wanted, and that mm. was the point. Was we wanted to hand ourselves, we wanted to hand our trust and another artist that we that we admired and trusted. It's really hard for us as a band to give away like our our vision or entrust it with someone else because there's so many things that get lost um, in in um, translation or in dialogue. Yeah, especially because we're Latinos, people think we want to play up like a certain uh, cultural aspect and a lot of times their uh, interpretation of that comes through stereotypes that they know from like movies and TVs mm -hmm. so when we do like when we need like content for uh, music videos or artwork we get cholo art all the time you know really angster wow. art we get like the other those muertos art all the time and it's like we want to do something that's just apart from that yeah, um, we respect that stuff, but we want to do something that creates our own unique identity to who we are as a band. Right. And, um, and he got that. He was the first person we we entrusted, and he just came back. He's like, I interpreted the album, I interpreted the message between be, uh, behind Invisible People, and this is what I came up with. And so he showed us the the concept, and we loved it. Wow, that's really awesome. That's a great story. I mean, I feel like it almost is. Uh it's kind of like a, a prologue to 
kind of like the message that you're trying to convey the fact that it can be trans that it can be connected with someone who's in South Korea, you know, and even, even just the conversation of you breaking it, like breaking the language barrier down, you know, to get the, to get this vision across and that connection. I think that's just such, such a powerful thing. So, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was amazing to meet him in person and to work with his crew and just, he's, a, he's so talented. He's very, so nice. Um, it's funny. We shot the video at a sound, uh, not the video. We shot the, the artwork at a soundstage in, in South LA where they do all these hip hop videos. And I can't remember what hip hop artist was there. Um, I, I can't remember which one, but um, mm. they were having like a some big time um, hip hop musician was shooting a music video. Mm-hmm. So our manager had just showed up. He's like, "Man, he's like, I went into the wrong soundstage, and like there was all these like half naked women around." And I was like, "Is this this is the Chicago <laughs> Batman?" <laughs> oh, it's Tyga. That's what it was. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, uh, yeah, that, it was funny. <laughs> Tell me about some of your uh, favorite songs on the album or just the ones that resonated with you, if not, you know, all of them. But what are some that stick out to you? So let me see. I like I like Manuel's story a lot. Um, I'm a little biased to that one. That's one I brought in. Mm. And um, that was definitely me just being inspired by Can and, and prog rock music. And the Motoric beat, which is like the the beat Stereo Lab uses a lot and can. It's just um, this groove that I've always wanted to explore within the context of this band. But I just had kind of this idea that maybe the band that would this wouldn't be the project to try this out in because mm-hmm. I had I just thought I don't think these guys would be into that. But um, one day there was like a session and it was just me, Eduardo, and Gabriel. Bardo was out of town on vacation. And we got together and it was like, we weren't thinking of, all right, let's write Chicano Batman music. It was more like, hey, let's just try some stuff. And I was like, all right, let's try this. I have this weird song. The other day my uncle told me a story. He said, son, it gets up the glory. tried it and it came together it started coming together and it was fun and then we showed it to bardo and he loved it and added his vocals and he added like uh, a synthesizer that uh plays with his uh vocals on the chorus hmm. and um yeah it was just it was just like a, it was just proof that we really could do anything if we wanted to if we were all on the same page it didn't matter about style or genre it was just about trying to do something different and so that song's fun to me i like it a lot i like the the feel um and it just has sounds that i feel like we hadn't tried before on previous albums so i like that song i like invisible people that one was great we kind of went in with the the song being more like of a head bobbing beat um and when we got to the studio leon michaels the producer who worked who's under l michaels affairs his his project um he was like we got to reconstruct this from scratch and i just remember like feeling like the armpit sweat go down the side of my like torso and be like oh god this is gonna be stressful like we're on the spot we gotta we gotta compose something like in an hour right now but we were up for the challenge and uh it was fun we just ended up coming up with um just great parts that i thought were better than what the original song was and um it was just fun 
knowing that we could we could write on the spot like that under the under the the clock and with that that pressure Uh, so that was fun. Um, I'm trying to think what else we got on there. Tell me about uh, Pink Elephant. I really enjoyed that song. So Pink listening. Elephant. And as the guitar player in the band, Chicano Batman is more like, I guess there's, okay, so Flaming Lips is, a, is, a, is an awesome band. Yeah. And just because someone's playing the music like on stage or on the record doesn't mean that person like came necessarily developed that part. Right. And so Chicano Batman's becoming more like that, where like there's keyboards that I played on the record or keyboards I wrote that Bardo plays the keyboards on the record. Mm. There's guitar parts that he wrote or Eduardo wrote that I play on the record. And it's just it's becoming to the point where it's not about being like an individual musician and trying to be like the hot shit guitarist or keyboardist or whatever. It's more about let's make the sound, the sound of this band. And it doesn't matter who did what. That's the sound. So that's the case for Pink Elephant. Eduardo came out with the guitar part, and it was just amazing. There was nothing for me to do to it, except I think I added the bridge uh, guitar parts. But it was fine as, as it was, and I had no qualms, you know, just playing it the way it was, because that's the way it needed to be. reason we do that is because we track live as a band so yeah like eduardo if we if we tracked one person at a time he could have just did the guitar part by himself you know but we want to get that live take so that means since i play guitar live i'm going to play the guitar while we're recording that song so i recorded the the guitar he did the bass we got the drums boom we did it like in a couple takes and um but that's a song eduardo demoed with gabriel him and Gabriel uh, demoed it, and um, yeah, it's just it's just like kind of supposed to be like some kind of like hip hop sample kind of vibe, like maybe something you'd hear like on an MF Doom uh, sample. And um, I loved it, and Bardo loved it, and started writing lyrics to it like as soon as he heard it. So nice. that's all that one. That one came together pretty pretty easily. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. Um, another song too that stuck out to me was uh, the way. I really dig the different time signature changes too. Can you tell me about that one? Yeah, so that's a song uh, Bardo brought in, and um, it was like a familiar territory a little bit. Like it, it had like those tropicalia kind of um, arrangements, and just kind of to me those sounds of like Brazilian um, kind of music um, that we listened to from like the seventies and sixties. And um, it was originally composed. He fully composed it i think the the vocals and the the guitar and then um eduardo and gabriel added their parts and this song was funny it was a big fight for the band actually so you know really? we're a band <laughs> so i just want to tell everybody we're a band you have four very unique individuals that are essentially composers with them by themselves trying to compose together and see a a, a, a unique united vision that can be a tough place to get to at times. 
it's, I, I guess I've read like the Beatles kind of functioned like this. Like whoever brought in the song, they were kind of the boss of that song. So John brought in a song. He's the boss. Paul, boss. George Harrison, etc. Ringo. Um, so that was the case. And so with this one, Bardo was actually, I don't think it needs any of your guitar playing on it. And I was like, really? I think I could, I, I think I can like add something to this without taking away from it. And it was kind of contentious. He was like, I don't think it needs any, any Carlos on it. And so we get to the studio and um, Leon was like, uh, I think Bardo went to go get like lunch or something. He's like, so get in there and let's add some guitar parts to this. <laughs> and so those are the I play in all the fuzz guitar you hear on the on the song and like the electric guitar. Bardo's playing the acoustic, and um, the middle section. Bardo kind of knew he wanted some kind of like backwards sounding melodic, like trippy psychedelic vibe happening. Yeah. And on the middle section, that's actually Leon, our producer, like getting down on the Moog, and he's just playing these amazing like melodies that really add to like the uh, the idea we were going with for the song. I can't stop reflecting upon the reflection of my own reflection. It's like a mind game that I can't tame. Like an empty shell that feels no pain. Just like the body is twitching, convulsing in every direction. We are a fragmented shard of glass. With my fixated on the past. Very cool. Very cool. Interesting story. Yeah, it's funny. It reminds me of um, it reminds me of uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers from By the Way because I know they fought a lot making that record, you know. And you kind of yeah. hear these these just like these conflicting uh, types of rhythms, but but like it works and it sounds like sounds great, you know. So this was uh, a this was a tough record for us. This was I found like solace in like reading stories about how like every time Radiohead makes a record, they can't stand each other, you know. Hmm. And that's definitely not the case with us. We we usually get along, but this record was hard to make make because I think we really kind of understood that this was an important record in our in our in our in our catalog and where we were going and where we had been. It was kind of like a little more pressure, and I think we didn't want to disappoint, so we really wanted to bring our A game. And um, everybody kind of had singular visions for what they wanted, but we had to have like a united vision at the end of the day and. Right. That's what you hear, but to get to that place, it's it's you know it's it's contentious when somebody wants to eat Chinese food for dinner and you want to eat you know Subway like <laughs> somewhere, and that's what it's like making a making that record. It was like, hey, I want to go this way, and that person's like, I want to go this way. All right, well, where can we meet? Can we right. meet? And that's right. where the producer comes in in handy. He's like, all right, this is where we're going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you end up getting a buffet. <laughs> Exactly. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome, man. Well, one of the one of the last things I wanted to ask you, um, you know, what are you, what do you think is the future for Chicano Batman? Are you guys working on more stuff right now, or is it kind of hiatus because of the obvious state of affairs going on, or what's in the future for you guys? It's a little bit hiatus right now. Um, I mean, we did like a lot of press for this record, and because we were in quarantine, we were we were very accessible. So it was just like a nonstop like uh, promo and um, interviews and radio interviews and writing things for for content um, that was going to be put out in magazines or you know mm-hmm. on, online. And um, so I think we got a little a little burned out on that because it, it was going strong till like August, mm-hmm. then the album came like in March. So 
we've been kind of enjoying this little bit of a respite. And uh, but we do have some music that we recorded that we're gonna put out at some point. Um, nothing, nothing more than an EP um, at, at most. But there's already talks about hopefully getting some studio time next year to just start working on the next record. Nice, nice. Well, definitely looking forward to that. Um, Carlos, I really appreciate you taking the time, man. It's been, uh, I, I love these stories you've been sharing and, and uh, just kind of, you know, your your story as a as a guitarist and musician. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Jarrell. Appreciate it. Of course, of course. Well, there you have it, folks. This is Jarrell Power from the 440 Guitar Podcast. We'll jam again soon and have a good day.